Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings and welcome to our deep sea domain and a happy new year. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a lovely boy with a wonderful personality, but a pish games player. And also suffering from visible panty line, I am Ash Versus. It's an absolute curse on an audio medium. You can hear the fabric on fabric. It's terrible. This episode aired on the 2nd of January, 1997. That's right, we had a week off due to Boxing Day, but FIFA 97 and 101 Dalmatians are still top of their charts, and the Christmas 1996 number one is still top of the pops, as the Spice Girls tell us that tonight is the night when two become one. A song about boning. So the the week that we missed, because the show didn't air on Boxing Day, the number one single was that Dumb Blaine, or the song for Dumb Blaine. Yeah. And quite the gear shift, quite the gear change to go from that to the Spice Girls talking about doing some sex. Yeah, because normally, you know, we like to have a bit of fun and it's just like where there is there is no humour in a charity song in memory of those who tragically lost their lives. No, no, we're, we're not that podcast. Now, it's much nicer to talk about Two Become One, a Spice Girl song that I think is an absolute banger. It is hey. a... Yep, there you go. I did that on purpose. Uh, I had it on in the car not that long ago, in fact, and I was belting along the lyrics with it. It is a beautiful little song, great music video for it as well. And it was a song that at the time, I did not know what it meant and what it was talking about. But now as an adult, I'm like oh put it on put it on i i get it now condoms luke strap-ons and that it is a uh it's it's quite the uh (laughs) i think they were promoting safe sex not pegging (laughs) 
Uh, hey, we don't know. I haven't interviewed them. I haven't asked them personally, but, it, you know, I'm not going to say it is or it isn't. That would be a hell of an opening gambit to interview any of the Spice Girls, <laughs> wouldn't it? So, two becomes one. Was it about safe sex and contraception or butt stuff? And I think, if depending on which one you ask, you'll get a different answer. Because it's worth noting, this song was covered by one of the Spice Girls for a solo album as a duet with Robbie Williams Emma Bunton did it on her fourth solo album, which was called My Happy Place. I reckon this is the only podcast on the planet which will say the terms Emma Bunton's fourth solo album. Emma Bunton, Robbie Williams, could it be about contraception? Could it be about pegging? Pegging pegging 16, we just don't know. How many beers have you had, by the way? <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're in for a fun time tonight. The film is still 101 Dalmatians. It is for our final week. Now that we are moving into 1997, we've got a Vita next week. Can we talk about First Contact then? Just, I don't, I didn't want to talk about 101 Dalmatians. I sure as shit don't want to talk about Evita. Well, actually, no, I do, maybe for one week, because there's some fun to be had around the controversy around it. She was indeed. We actually talked about it briefly on the in-between episodes because all the controversy around it, like all the production controversy around it, happened in the in-between series between five and six. I'm sure we'll have a chance to touch upon it again next week. So yeah, this episode didn't air uh, last week, which would have been uh, the, the 26th episode. Uh, it would have been Boxing Day. Do you know what aired in the usual time slot where Games Master would have aired? I don't know. Crystal May's Christmas special. Uh, close. It's Pavarotti returns to Langollen. Was he competing for five seconds of time inside the Crystal Dome? I, I don't know, but it did go on for 90 minutes. Now, when you said Lan Langollen, is that L-L-A-N-G-O-L-L-E-N? That's correct. Ah, in that case, it's Klangoklin. Oh, My yes. Welsh is not very good. Nor is mine, but I've been there multiple times because it was and may still be the home of the Dapol factory, which is known for little model trains and having a lovely kind of big expansive model railway inside. But also they were the toy license holder for Doctor Who for many years and they had a Doctor Who exhibition built into the factory and museum tour. And it was very entertaining if you like that sort of thing, which I did. The only Welsh I really know, uh, Shemai, I know that, uh, and uh, I know how to say, uh, if you're call doing a, a coin toss, I can say Tales for Wales. So Confunity Cymru. That's about it. That's as far as my Welsh goes. And of course, there's Microwave. Well, there's obviously that as well, yes. Poppity ping. Poppity ping. So we didn't actually get to cover the, uh, the the Christmas TV and stuff, but just as a brief overview of the, the premieres that we had over the Christmas period, BBC had Cliffhanger on Christmas Eve and Jurassic Park on Christmas Day. 65 million years of evolution separated man from the dinosaurs. Until now. What species is this? It's a Velociraptor. Sam Neill. Bread raptors. Ellie, boot up the toilets! Jeff Goldblum. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And Laura Dern. I 
think we're back in business. Star in the Steven Spielberg blockbuster. Jurassic Park. Christmas Day at 6.30 on BBC One. Fairly alarmed here. I'm double bill, that. Feels like the time between cinema and TV premieres is getting smaller. Because I remember Back to the Future being the Christmas Day movie. And that was a long old time between it being in the cinemas and it appearing on TV. Yeah, because that's three years. Both of those, I believe, are three years, because I think Cliffhanger's 93 as well. And BBC very much beat out ITV in terms of the premieres and stuff. Although they did have the premiere of Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, arguably the the, the best Batman movie. Uh, uh, but on Christmas Day, had the premiere of Dennis, a.k.a. the live-action well, in America, Dennis the Menace, but here was just called Dennis because ah, Dennis the Menace is a different character. It is one of those very, very confusing parallels. What can I say about Dennis? I think we had a bootleg video of this. My only lasting memory is seeing an, uh, an advert for it and asking my mum, like, what was the difference between him and Dennis the Menace? And actually watching a TV show that explained that there was a different character. See, I remember the American Dennis cartoon much more. And yes, I was actually okay with that. It was a fun little series. In retrospect, Dennis USA is far less annoying than Dennis the Menace UK because Dennis the Menace UK is a bully. He's a proper little sh**. Yeah, he is. I mean, it's we all read the Beano. We all read his adventures. And I'm sure... A lot of people chuckled when he beat up Walter the Softy, and they've changed all that now, and rightfully so. I know some people go, ooh, wokeism gone mad, but it's like, no, he was a bully and he was beating up someone for being different. That's shitty behaviour. Has not aged well. Dennis, the US menace, mainly guilty of pissing off an elderly neighbour. Uh, in the TV news, on the 1st of January, ITV introduced a third weekly episode of Emmerdale. On January 2nd, however, we start to get test transmissions for Channel 5 in some areas. Details are made available on CFAX page 689 for a few weeks. Ah, oh, speaking of the Spice Girls, that Channel 5 launch is on the horizon. Yeah, we're not that far from it. Cause it is, is it 97, isn't it, that it launches? Indeed it is. End of March 1997. Wow, we're really close then. That's actually closer than I thought. I thought it might have been later. Well, I'm sure we will find a way to mark that momentous occasion that was Channel 5 being launched by the Spice Girls and immediately becoming home to many, many pieces of questionable television. I was going to say, we'll review ups and downs of a handyman. Living my life till the best I can. Ups and downs all over the town. I can make them smile. I can make them frown. Buried in my head, that. That's buried in my subconscious somewhere. Also, Lex. WCW Thunder. Poltergeist, The Legacy. All the great movies of the time and TV shows, of course. And Martial Law, which was actually pretty good. Good evening and welcome to Games Master and a very happy new year to every man, child and especially woman out there because we're celebrating 1997 with a girly special. Yes, everything in today's show has a distinctly female flavour because, let's face it, if the girly show can get a second series... There's hope for all us sisters. Here is my first note I have for this episode. Oh, it's this episode, is it? It's the quote-unquote girly episode, uh, where Dom and all of his male co-hosts wear dresses, even Games Master has got a bit of lippy on, and we have female contestants across the show, because, you know, maybe the show has been too male-focused for, for too long, and I'm sure this isn't being done to just 
poke a bit of fun at them. I mean, by too male-focused for too long, I'd say arguably since Series 1. Perhaps, yeah. Uh, certainly when you get to Series 3 and Dave's comments and then Series 4 with Dom's comments. I imagine that you, much like me, kind of breathed a sigh of relief after we were done with last week's episode. Yeah, because we can move past it now. So it was somewhat amusing that I was so focused on episode 9 that I'd completely forgotten about episode 10, which I'd actually written my first pass of notes for over a month ago. And then I started watching it again for flavour and opened up the Google Doc. And given my first note was, oh dear. And then it came up on screen and I'm like, ah, we're not out of the woods yet. Because this episode has aged somewhat poorly. Although I will say, I think Dom is poking more fun at himself throughout the episode than he is necessarily poking at any of the female competitors or guests, like long form. I would say so, yeah. Dom is the butt of the joke. Throughout like the all of the Zoe Ball thing, I think he is the butt of the joke. The only sort of questionable time it comes up is pretty much that last line of the episode, which is essentially where he says, yeah, this is why we don't have girl gamers on this show anymore. It's not a great comment. It has aged, to use one of your expressions, like a fine murder. But should we get into our first challenge? What is this first challenge, Games Master? I'd like to keep a close eye on my female game playing contestant. So I was particularly interested when I heard about a young lady who goes by the name of Platform Queen, who has particular aptitude for platform games. So my event today is designed to put her to her paces. First, she must collect 30 bananas on Donkey Kong Country 3. Next, 30 DNA triangles on the rather creepy spider. And then on to Crash Bandicoot to gather 20 animals. She's not been allowed to see any of the levels she's been playing on, and we have only four minutes to complete more. Of course, if she dies any time, then her challenge will be over. It's a difficult one, so come on, platform queen. All the sisters are rooting for you. See that girl, watch that scene, dig it, she's the platform queen. She's a young lady who's very good at platform games, though we learn later on, exclusively 2D platform games. This is a really nicely put together challenge. A a lot like the boss challenge from a few episodes back, we've got 30 bananas on Donkey Kong Country 3, 30 DNA bits on Spider, which is a game I'd completely forgotten existed, And then 20 apples on Crash Bandicoot. And Crash Bandicoot is the odd one out here because it is the only game that is properly 3D. It it sort of feels like an evolution because you go from one game that is 2D in Donkey Kong Country 3 to a game that's 2.5D in Spider into 3D with Crash Bandicoot. So it's quite a nice little progression there. But you're right, like I like these three challenge ones. It's not like the boss challenge where you've got to just beat all the bosses. This is like you've got four minutes to do all three of these games. Of course, single life, so you die on any of them, the challenge is over. When it comes to things like this, I'm assuming she's at least making it to the second round, otherwise this would not be long enough to fit kind of the TV format. But I like the form, I like the game choices, it was amazing being reminded of Spider because legitimately had forgotten it existed. And then we meet her, and she seems absolutely delightful okay so like we said at the top of the show this is the girly show all us girls coming together please welcome the first one sarah wade now 
Sarah, you are a, a bit of a platform game fan. Tell us about uh, some of your platforming feats then that you've done. Well, I've completed every single one of the Mario Brothers, um, both of the Donkey Kong, and I just love playing them all, Raymond, everything. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. What about your mum and dad? Do they share your passion? Yeah, everyone in our family loves it. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. uh, did your mum and dad end up in hospital or something because of that? Yeah, they were playing too much and they had um, carpal tunnel syndrome in the, in the wrist because they were playing too much. Uh-huh. It's a uh, syndrome I've had for different reasons. And finally, you said you'd like to see more women on Games Master. Why is that? Definitely. Because it's, um, there's so many males on the show, there's a male presenter and everything we, else. We hope, it? we think. Um, <laughs> well, what would you do? What would you like to see them doing then on the show? I'd like to see them um, sharing your job, you know, presenting right. as well. Uh-huh, presenting with me basically up here getting close to a woman. Yeah. And they're certainly <laughs> a, a first time for everything. The look on her face when Don makes his wanking joke is quite the picture. Yeah, because she comes on out and she shares some of her platforming achievements. She's completed all the Mario games, both Donkey Kong Countries, Rayman, which was a tough old platform game. And everyone in the family loves video games, including a dad who ended up in the hospital with carpal tunnel syndrome, something Dominic had for different reasons. I'm assuming tennis. But I mean, perhaps it was. Her face suggests otherwise. By tennis, I meant wanking. Oh, of course. Yeah, monkey tennis. Monkey tennis. <laughs> Oh, God, that's going to become a sticker or a badge or something now. Monkey tennis, Luke. Oh, I mean, it's a Nana Partridge girl. I can't take full credit for that one. She wants to see more women presenting this show. And then Dom kind of like turns that around to be like, you don't want to see. So, what you're saying is you want to see more women next to me. I will give Dom some credit in this in that he's actually very self deprecating about the concept of being close to a woman. Yeah, first time for everything. Yeah, we've, we've already had the wanking joke and it's just like, oh, a woman. <laughs> a woman, eh? In the vicinity of me. Yeah, I, I, I do like this as a setup. I like this as a conceit. And, you know, credit to Sarah. She is right. She is absolutely bang on the button. And it's a shame that it takes 25 years to kind of get close with Games Master. But, you know, we'll leave it. I do want to compliment Dominic on a couple of things. One is his legs. He's gone the effort. Very fetching pins on display. I genuinely expected the frock to be done away with after the first challenge. But nope, everyone on screen, so him, Kirk and Rick, are committed to this bit. This is an episode that Dave Perry would have hated. Dave would have been f***ing ah. furious if he saw this episode and would have not wanted to have any part of it. He could have borrowed the Union Jack dress that Jerry Halliwell wore. It would have fit with the bandana. Well, I completely agree. And I think if he'd have uh, been a bit more fun, he probably would have had a fun time with it. But he was, no, he was super duper serious games animal at this point. He would have never got on board for this. And clearly didn't. Like Pamela Anderson's hand in marriage, the arcade racing game is one of the most hotly contested genres around. The latest effort trying to muscle in on the action is GTI Club from Konami, a company not noted for its racing pedigree. The game involves racing around city centres behind the wheel of a souped-up Mini. Some might say it's a rip-off of the Italian job, others might say it's the most original driving game in years, allowing players to choose their own route through the city and generally cause the kind of havoc not seen since Tony Adams lost his licence. Up first in the news we have GTI Club, which is a fun little arcade game because, in a shocking twist, you don't have to follow the track. There are other tracks to follow. It is kind of free roaming. It's a bit open world and it's in a arcade and a Konami game. 
this is a fun little curio. There were a whole bunch of games in this series. This was not just a one and done. This game did really well, massive hit in Japan especially, and led to many other sequels. Uh, this one was actually, I believe, ported to the PlayStation at some point. I think later it was a downloadable PlayStation arcade-type game. But Dom references the Italian job, and you can see why. You've got five different rally cars, including a Mini Cooper, so the Italian job references there. And also, in a really cool bit, there was a handbrake in the arcade. Yeah, that's the thing that really drew me to it. And I was reading about it on the Wikipedia page, this idea that you have a handbrake. And it's kind of, it's done to encourage you, the player, to do handbrake turns. As a sort of visual and idea, that is that actually really attracts me to playing the game. Not only is it the sort of the different branching tracks that you can take. This is a game that I would want to play in the arcades. Like you say, the, it was available on the PS3 later on in its life. But I think the the arcade is the way to experience this little game. Absolutely. Who knows if there are still some out there? We're the dream team. Well, we're the main team. Cleaning up at the American box office at the moment is Space Jam, Warner Brothers' latest animated extravaganza featuring Michael Jordan digitally inserted into a cartoon world to help Bugs and Co. out with a spot of alien bother. Released in March, fans of the movie will be able to continue their animated fantasies with Space Jam on the Saturn and PlayStation from acclaim. Two basketball games that bear an uncanny resemblance to NBA Jam on the Mega Drive, uh, also from Acclaim. I am super duper stoked for Space Jam to arrive in our timeline. We'll get it in the in-between series because it's the number one at the UK box office unless of course the Wikipedia page gets updated and it tells us that it never was a UK box office number one. I'll get on it. <laughs> I f***ing loved Space Jam. Absolutely loved this movie. I think this might have been the first time this certainly is around this period of time would have been the first time i saw anything related to space jam and i'm pretty sure it was on this episode of games master and then just that anticipation of the movie coming out it was the first movie i went to go and see without my parents so yeah i was super super stoked for this movie i didn't actually play any of the games though mostly because i didn't have a Saturn or a playstation but i probably would have wanted the games i did have the soundtrack because I, I was obsessed with Space Jam. Would you like some consolation news, Luke? I believe that the games are actually quite shit. Oh my God, they're terrible. They are absolutely bloody awful. It's funny because I actually had no notes on Space Jam. My only note to myself on this entire news article, other than a few bits and pieces about the games themselves, was sit back, let Luke take this one because I knew you would, because I know you love Space Jam. This is an audio medium, but listeners, if you can see his little face light up, it's like it's Christmas Day again. It's also an absolute fucking disaster of a movie as well, because it's not very good. And it had a horrendous production. Awful, awful production, because the lad that did it, who was um, an advert director, did not know how to make this movie. You know when you see like the behind-the-scenes stuff for Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm -hmm. And Bob Zemeckis knows how he is making this movie like he visualizes like this is how this shot works and this is how it'll be animated and this is how the shot will work the lad who directed space jam did not know how it was going to work and so he filmed things basically incorrectly so the animators then had to try and work their animation style into what he had shot which was wrong we often make jokes about fixing it in the edit but that is something we can do because this is an audio only medium and Spoilers, 
I have been known to occasionally record linking sentences just to make sure the edits make sense. Can't do that shit with a film, especially a film that involves merging together two different competing technologies. Yeah. Fucking shambles. They had to farm it out because the production was got so messy and so many things had to be reshot and had to be redone. They filmed it out to so many different animation departments within Disney around the world. So it wasn't just one. They filmed out to France and to Australia and all this sort of stuff, like the TV department stuff. I said Disney, sorry, it was Warner Brothers. But they had to film also like, you know, TV departments and things like that to do the animation on it because it was just getting super duper messy. It's amazing that it managed to come out in the end. Absolutely stunning that they managed to get it done. One last note on the game, and possibly the most damning thing that could be noted is that a lot of people criticised the game because they said there was nothing in this game that couldn't have been done on a 16-bit console, and yet here it was being pushed as part of the next generation on the PlayStation, the Saturn, and MS-DOS computers as part of the burgeoning PC gaming scene. And Dominic even kind of says that, where he was like, you know, this looks like NBA Jam on the Mega Drive. It was made by Acclaim. Also released the home ports of NBA Jam. Hmm. Oh, wait, no, it's 3v3. Oh, that makes all the difference. That's what the 32-bit gives you. It gives you a third 2D sprite. Well, a fifth and a sixth 2D sprite. There you go. Got to be mathematically accurate. Like me, the problem with pets is they smell and cack all over the place. Well, now the nation's gone bonkers for creatures on the PC, which allows you to nurture your very own virtual captive without the smell. You can hatch your little critter, treat it with love and affection, and you'll be able to sit back and feel smug as your well-balanced progeny frolics happily, learns about its environment, and even plays doctors and nurses with other fluffy mates. Well, this is a game. Yeah, it certainly is. It's basically like, it, it's Tamagotchi before we had Tamagotchi, although like way more advanced version of a Tamagotchi, I suppose, in a way. Like this is, you know, you get these little creatures that are called Norns and, and you raise them and they go through all the different stages of life in a way like a sim, but they are AI and they sort of interact and they learn and this that, and the other and like it was quite groundbreaking for the time i remember it very very vividly i've never played it i've never gone into any of this or any of its sequels or anything like that and apparently like the the community for it is still alive and active today according to you know at least as far as wikipedia is concerned but it is a bit of groundbreaking tech this and it wasn't just like some virtual pet type applications or games it wasn't just a quick bit of shovelware this was in development for over four years, every copy shipped with unique starting eggs that gave you your starting set of eggs. And then, yeah, the things got off and they started to learn and they started to evolve. And there were things like neural networks at play, which if you want to know what those are, Google it. I could explain it, but we'd be here a long time and I wouldn't understand any of the words I was saying. You can fall down a few like wiki rabbit holes when looking this up like when i was doing some research for it earlier like you know and sort of reading up about it you find it you know there's a bunch of things and then there's loads of blue hyperlinks and each of those blue hyperlinks have got each of their own blue hyperlinks and stuff like if you are interested in this you could certainly learn a lot but you're right like i think we would we could just read words and not really follow a lot of what it was we we are not the we are not the people with the fuds with the phds to to cover this one but what we can say is this game was huge. At the time, it was said to have had the largest of its kind of online community, certainly something that made very big use of the internet in its early stages. It sold over half a million copies from 1996 through to the kind of tail end of 1998. And apparently globally, there was up to 5 
million Norns in existence going across all the copies and all the different generations alive and available. Crazy stuff. And I love that we're covering this here because essentially Dom mainly makes it about the fact that these things will bone, possibly while listening to Two Become One. Well, as long as they're practicing safe pegging. And it's fascinating well for us as well because we had that item in Series 5, I think it was, of that other sort of like AI place where you get a creature and you look after the creature and you go and learn what that creature has done. This feels like this is the next evolution of that because this is now a game and this is more of sort of a, a game-based thing. Not that it has like, pro, you know, storyline progression and things like that, but it is kind of like stunning to look at and stunning to like to read about what it achieved and, and what it was. And, you know, the sequels that it got afterwards and how the, the PlayStation ports of it was actually quite poorly received because the PlayStation was not powerful enough to really handle this game because this game needs quite advanced AI in it in order for it to be a proper creatures game. And it was the processing power for the AI because the graphics were kept fairly minimal. Like the, the creatures are cute enough. They've got enough personality. They do stare at you a lot which when we get that little clip of them looking like they're about to go at it doggy fashion, it's kind of creepy because they're maintaining eye contact with you for, throughout. The kind of world they lived in, in your computer, was actually a photo of a model that was built because it was like, well, we could model this in 3D or we could actually model it in the real world 3D and take photos of it. Uh, fun fact, that set is still in existence and can be viewed at the uh, British Computer Museum which I think is very cool and something I'll definitely keep an eye out for if I ever get to go there. So nothing there is really challenging. In many ways, it's less challenging than Space Jam. But it is that kind of AI neural network, swapping things around, learning processes. And also, I imagine, lack of storage. Because computer, you can easily go, even in that, that period of time. Have 20 meg, have 40, 50 meg. Get a bit risky. Have, you know... 100 meg on the playstation here's a one meg card yeah, it's a lot harder to do there but this was just the first of many titles in the creatures game and yeah there are people out there still playing with their norns today it was one of those ones i started to write down all of those different sequels that it got and then realized that there were way more like sequels and stuff that i really had the time and patience to write down and note all of them unless it is particularly notable my count for sequels for games when I'm coming to making my notes is once it goes beyond four, it's many. Yeah, I had the same thing. I wrote down like Creatures 2, Creatures 3, Creatures Adventures, Creatures Online. And I was like, ah, and that'll do. There was many. lots of sequels. Many. It was a cash cow. Okay, welcome back. This is the girly show on Games Master, something I've pioneered to have for a long, long time. That's why we dress a little bit differently. We have got Sarah Wade on the show, who's going to attempt to get through three platform games within the allotted time. Being hinged to my bracket is Kirk Ewing from Vizette. Kirk, there's something that's different about you today. What is it? How nice of you to notice, Dominica. I am indeed not wearing my Wonder Bra. That's what it is. Now, Kirk, the first game is Donkey Kong 3. What tips can you give Sarah on that? Well, OK, you've got to guide your various collection of donkeys around the thing. The best tip for all of the games that you're going to play is just take things slowly because you're not going to get a second chance. That's it. OK, then make sure you don't miss any of the objects you have to pick up. You never want to miss the objects you have to pick up. Well, speaking of a cash cow with lots of sequels, we are kicking things off with Donkey Kong Country 3 and Kirk is not wearing his usual Wonder Bra. Very brave of him to go out or without it. 
Yeah, even though the N64 is on the way and the 32-bit era is firmly here, Rare are still pumping them out for the old Super Nintendo. And this is a hot and fresh title, especially at time of recording, because it was only released in America on the 18th of November, 23rd of November for Japan, and 13th of December in Europe and Australia. So you're going to have to assume this is an American import. I would have thought so, or like a demo board or something along those lines. And that's why when Sarah does her interview at the start of this, she said she's played both Donkey Kong games. Like at the time of the recording, there was only two. This would have been the first time she'd have got to play DKC3. They do say, I think it's in Games Master's bit where he says like, the, the contestant won't have seen the games before, won't have played the games before. Dom does cop to it later on to say she did get to practice, but they just didn't tell her which levels she was going to get. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Games Master did say levels they haven't seen before, so definitely didn't try and make it too... Fudgy, yeah. Bullshitty, really. I mean, it's Donkey Kong Country 3. It's changing the roster around a bit, therefore the game mechanics change a bit. We're not reinventing the wheel or the barrel with this one, but it's a good game. It's a great platform game. And Luke, it's reviewed in our January 1997 issue of Uh Games Master Magazine. You know what? It's so funny. We actually talked about this before we came on mic and I actually forgot it was coming up. (laughs) I didn't. So Luke... Are you ready to strike it, Lukey? Well, it's, it's been a while since we've done this, so yeah, hit me with your best shots. Fun fact for you, I just went to eBay because I thought this game would be actually pretty pricey because it's come so late in the SNES's lifestyle. Nope, you can actually pick this up boxed pretty cheap. You can pick one up for 16 quid if you fancy it. Maybe that is because of Games Master Magazine's score. Oh, what a lovely tease. See, I'm not wearing my Wonder Bra either. <laughs> but here we go, and I think our first review of this new review board style which also includes the vital statistics for the game so we've got dkc3 dixie's double trouble version reviewed snes number of players one from nintendo and available out now graphics some wonderful examples of parallax scrolling but not exactly bursting with invention right so that to me suggests we might be in the 80s but certainly high i'm gonna go straight delorean 88 oh close 86. Ooh, okay, that is... Okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. I was in the right ballpark. Sounds. Business as usual, really, with the music and sound effects exactly like Donkey Kong Country 2's. Now, that is either it's as good as it was, so therefore we give it a good score, or it's exactly what it was, and therefore it's not improved, so we're going to lower it down. Try my luck again with another DeLorean 88. Oh, You're one out twice, and by that I mean 77. Oh, wow, that's way lower than I was expecting. I guess they're not saying it's bad. They're just saying it is literally what we've heard before, particularly with the sound effects. That's what I wasn't sure which direction they were going with their comments, but yeah. Gameplay. Some of the characters are very frustrating to control, but generally fine and dandy. I'm not going to go Dolorean again. I'm going to go lower again. I'm heading to 85. Oh, just one out this time. 84. Okay, 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 okay. Lifespan. Well, it's all rather like the previous entries, but certainly there's plenty here for a challenge. Now, the it's like it was before makes me think that it's not hugely high. I think it is within the 80s. I can't imagine that's in the 70s again. Do I stick mid-80s? Let's say 84. One out again. 83. Crivens. So, let's recap. Graphics, 86. Sounds, 
77. Gameplay 84. Lifespan 83. Judgment. A great platformer in its own right, but the DKC series is crying out for some originality. Difficult to recommend it to veterans. In which case, I wonder how much that 77 drags it down. Because I think it's low 80s. Like in that 80 to 83 bracket is what I'm currently feeling with this. And I don't know how much that 77 is going to drag it down. I'm totally poker facing you at this point. So I'm going to say 83%. Luke. Was I one out again? No, it was 83. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, lovely stuff. Honestly, it shocks me that it was that low. And I think even if it was the third game in the series, if it had happened before the 32-bit era had truly taken hold, it would have been higher. It would have been an 88. It would have been a DeLorean, if not a 90. Because it's the sort of review they gave for Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles on the TV show, which is that, yeah, like it's good and stuff, but this is a series that is not progressing. Which is entirely accurate. Yeah, you're getting Donkey Kong Country, but again, new levels, different characters, slightly new mechanics, but it is the game that you kind of want it to be in a way. And I would say as well, actually, of the three games, this is the one that Sarah feels the most comfortable with. And she does go slightly askew here because, you know, we've got four minutes. So you've kind of got one minute 30 to do each challenge, really. So she can't go too long on each one. And she does go slightly long here because they say to her, like, don't go longer than a minute to give yourself enough time when you get to the Crash Bandicoot level, which is going to be a much slower game. But it does go slightly tits up for her very early doors here. She gets 22 bananas. She's only got eight left to get, but those eight are slightly higher up the level. And she takes a tumble when she jumps with Kitty Kong and falls right back to the start. She falls back to the start at the 25 second mark and does not get back to that point until post 40 seconds. Like it's nearly at the one minute mark when she gets back to that point. That one fall undoes all the good work and she does panic a little bit she takes a hit to one of her kong she loses kitty kong and that just leaves her with dixie you know she does it she gets all 30 but she's behind time dom and kirk said that really she needed to be at about the minute mark to be comfortable and she's not it's one minute 19 seconds that's almost 20 seconds to make up and you can tell by the look on her face you know she's biffed it a bit She does breathe an actual sigh of relief that she got through at least the first portion of this. But yeah, that 20 second behind it is really going to hurt her. Spider and the challenge there is to collect 30 little DNA globules. Again, we'll be looking for her to do it in a minute normally, but she's already 80 seconds uh, behind, so a little bit quicker would be nice. What tips have you got for her on this cut? Once again, take it steady, pick up as many of the hardware features as you can find early on, and really blast any other insect that dares stand in your way. Stands between you and your DNA. Yes, absolutely. Taking her into our next game, Spider the Video Game, which, as you mentioned earlier, is a game you'd forgotten about. And it is a game that I'd also forgotten about. And then I read the title and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that game. And then when I went to Wikipedia and I saw the box art for it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that game. Like it unlocked that memory in your your brain that you've completely forgotten about. It is a box art of a spider holding a gun. It's what we all doodled on the back of our science books. It's like, oh, this is a pretty cool spider. How do I make it cooler, Luke? making the creator of it imprinted and implanted into this spider so it now holds a gun. 
You either have a spider with a gun, or if you're quite weird, you give it breasts. Hmm. Trying to think which one the internet would do now. Well, Luke, you've forgotten. The internet now would give it breasts and a gun. Oh, peanut butter and jam. Breasts that fire bullets. <laughs> it's not like a bit in Transformers when like Megatron's head transforms into a gun. You're like, for fuck's sake, Michael Payne, like, you're going to keep doing these extra steps. What if the gun had another gun on top of its gun? <laughs> and tits. And tits. I didn't watch all of those Michael Bay Transformers movies. Did he give Megatron breasts at some point? I, I stopped paying attention after a while. I went to see the fourth one. Was it the fourth one? Yeah, I think it was the third one. I saw it in IMAX at a press screening and it gave me a fucking headache. Uh, to be honest, I think even if you'd waited and watched it on DVD, the headache would have still been there. The one with Marky Mark in it. That was And that was kind of it for me. Did you watch Bumblebee? Oh, Bumblebee was awesome. What a great oh, yeah. film. Oh, so Bumble- good. But Bumblebee was the soothing poultice that just undid all the damage of the previous movies while still meeting the contractual obligation of, well, we've got to make it fit into Michael Bay's continuity because legal reasons. Its first 20 minutes as well is a real, like, fuck you to all those Michael Bay interviews where he said, you can't do the G1 designs on screen. They just wouldn't look right. And also, mild spoilers, the last 30 seconds also are a big rolling stock middle finger to Michael Bay going, and the shitty lorry you rode in on. Anyway, Spider the video game. She, again, needs to do this less than a minute. Like, that's now, because she's 20 seconds beyond her time through Donkey Kong, she now needs to be kind of less than a minute here. And she does kind of get to the point, because she finishes this with at 2 minutes and 30. She's got 90 seconds to finish the final challenge. And she has got quite a few pauses in this where she's sort of figuring out what to do because this is a a 2.5D game. The people who made it did consider doing it as a full 3D game, but they wanted it to be a platformer, so made it 2.5D because that is a, a more fun way to do a platformer. But you know, she does get through this and she gets makes all the right choices. She loses a bit of health, but she gets it back and she gets through this. It's pretty solid stuff. It's not impressive, but it is solid great moment right at the end how she gets the last few blips of dna is to use a proper spider ability not one involving breasts or a gun but one in which involves a web and swinging backwards and forwards clearly adr'd into hell but there's a proper crowd ooh, reaction Done. now she's gonna get these oh a spider swing that's it that's the dna i think that is off the back of dom's reaction to it because i don't think dom knows that's in the game his reaction to it because he goes underneath and he goes like well, how's she gonna get to it now and then she does the little swinging thing and he goes oh that's how she's doing it yeah very clever i want to go back and check out spider the video game because regardless of whether the spider has a gun or not this looks like quite a fun not just platform but a little bit of a puzzler game as well yeah because it's got that uh cooler world sort of vibe to it of you sort of like constantly moving around and you know if you go to this side of the platform you can get to this bit much easier and that kind of does intrigue me slightly i mean spiders give me the heebie-jeebies a little bit so i don't know how much i would love it and if you're putting a gun in their hand i don't think is going to soothe any of my uh, my anxieties but you know i think that game wise it does look like it'd be quite a fun little one you should absolutely check out the trailer for choo choo charlie oh yeah well you imagine right if you take thomas the tank engine and give it an evil clown face and also make it a spider that's literally the game we've michael bayed it in fairness it actually looks like a lot of fun and i think even the game's maker is like oh shit, i've actually got to turn this into a real thing now and it's coming out at christmas 
Anyway, she gets to the end. 90 seconds left to tackle the final game. And it is Crash Bandicoot. Crash Bandicoot. Now, Carl, what tips have you got on Crash Bandicoot? Uh, navigate your little furry fox friend through, and once again, take it nice and slow because you can't afford to fall off any of the edges at all. Uh, and looking for the apples, you've got to get 20 apples out of this one. And it's a tough final game to do as well because this is Crash Bandicoot. This is Cash Banuka. It's on one of the tomb levels as well where you've got to do a lot of waiting. It's kind of actually what stung her a little bit in the Donkey Kong Country level was a lot of waiting around for barrels to fall down for her to jump on a platform her way up. This is a lot of taking your time. Don't rush things. Not only are you jumping within a 3D environment, and therefore it is harder to control than you would have done on a Super Mario game or a Donkey Kong Country game, you've got a lot of moving platforms. You've got a lot of fire sparking up. You have got to time your way around this. And if you've only got 90 seconds, you are going to find yourself rushing it slightly. I actually did have this thought of why were they saying you needed to like complete Donkey Kong Country 3 in one minute and then Spider in one minute. And it is, it's because of this rotating stuff going on in Crash Bandicoot 3. You need it to be a 1-1-2 split. This game is called Crash Bandicoot. And yet Kirk, in his pre-match you know, advice, says... Hey, you've got this furry little fox friend. I mean, Luke, did you know in 1996 what a bandicoot was? No, but it is literally in the name. I don't know much about hedgehogs, but I know that Sonic is one. And all hedgehogs are blue. This we know to be true. In defense of him, we've just spent a little bit of time looking up bandicoots online. Crash Bandicoot looks pig all like a bandicoot <laughs> and does, I would argue, more resemble a fox than an actual bandicoot. I mean, look at this Eastern Bard Bandicoot on the Wikipedia page. Look at that nose. It looks like he's been sniffing around the end of a vacuum cleaner. Looks nothing like Crash. There's no blue jeans on that, lads. Lack of blue jeans. He's also kind of more dirty blonde fur. The ears are wrong. He's not smiling. His eyes are the same colour. And by that, I mean mostly black. So yeah, I think Naughty Dog didn't actually look up what a bandicoot was, probably because they didn't have Wikipedia. Lazy pricks. <laughs> but however, back to the challenge, poor Sarah here. At about the three minute mark, she's progressing slowly. She's taking her time with her jumps. She's running short on it. Time that is. And then she just jumps short. It's one of those ones where you're jumping away from the camera, so you've got to try and judge the distance between where you are and where the platform is. And it's, that's not an easy thing to do if you're not familiar with Crash Bandicoot and how sort of the physics and how far Crash jumps. But it was one of those ones, the second she left that platform, I was like, yeah, she's fallen. Because I know. Because I played the absolute shit <laughs> out of Crash Bandicoot when I first got my PlayStation. I, I got my PlayStation for my birthday. I took it up to my nans for that, uh, that Christmas. And my cousin had Crash Bandicoot and we spent the entire Christmas time we were there playing through Crash Bandicoot and getting all of the hidden extras and everything like that. So I knew the second she left that platform, I was like, yeah, she's done for. There's no way she's making that. Yeah, I, uh, the mistake she made is one I made a lot on Crash Bandicoot. And in those early days of proper 3D gaming, where you did suddenly have to judge depth. It's what we were talking a little bit about last week with Super Mario 64. Like Mario 64 adjusts the Mario mold so that you're not playing a traditional Mario game because those 
traditional Mario games of like running, jumping on turtles, you know, hitting blocks and stuff don't really work in a 3D environment. A whole new way of playing games. And by comparison of the game mechanics she'd have had from the first two Donkey Kong countries and just the kind of muscle memory that would have allowed her to play Spider, there's going to be way less experience on this, even if she's got a PlayStation and got Crash at home. It's not going to have that kind of imprint that would help you play a game relatively unseen. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. And also, I think that time, the losing the 20 seconds in Donkey Kong Country made her rush what she was doing here because she knew that she had to progress much quicker than she would have liked. And that made her rush, that made her make rash decisions, and that made her fall. Well, commiserations, sir. Let's talk through the three parts there. Um, we must all say at this point in time, you had played the games, but we deliberately didn't show you the levels that you were playing on in them, so you were up against it. Uh, the first one on Donkey Kong Country, maybe about 20 seconds slower than uh, than you, you might have liked to have done it, yeah? Yeah. What, what was yeah. the problems there? Um, well, it was, a, it was a tough level, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And yeah. there's barely any bananas about, you know. So. That's, uh, that's that thing which often happens <laughs> yeah. uh, in life, and uh, many a terrible wartime drama has been based on that very theory. Um, you did make up the time in the Spider one, though. Yeah. So that was all right. We, we were a bit on there, and then again we came to Crash Bandicoot, which is very, very hard. Mm. What, what, what was the problem then with the platforms at the end of it? Well, I don't play 3D games really. I play um, like Mario's, which is straightforward yeah. platform games, you yeah. know. So it's a bit difficult, different, you know. Post-match, Don walks over to Sarah with the grace of a gazelle in army boots. His knees are on show to the nation here. You can see those those fair Scottish pins waltzing across the stage. He confirms again that while she had played the game, she didn't know which level she was going to be facing. And so they go over what went wrong, which in short order is Donkey Kong Country 3, tough level, lack of bananas, Spider, not too bad, made up a good amount of time there, Crash Bandicoot, I'm not used to 3D games. It makes me think she has a Saturn at home rather than a PlayStation. Saturn's got 3D platformers, it's got Bug. Yes, in a, in a way, you could argue that is a 3D platformer. And the only reason I think she's got a Saturn is because she mentions Rayman earlier, which is, you know, very much 2D. I got the impression, and I am completely projecting on it, that it's a Saturn more than a PlayStation situation. But she'll probably be more at home with a Saturn anyway, because she clearly likes 2D platformers over the 3D ones. I would argue that Rayman as a game has aged better than any of the 2.5 to 3D games we see here, and by that I mean the original Crash Bandicoot, I just think Rayman visually has aged a lot better because it looked gorgeous. Yeah. Those early Polygon games, they've not aged that gracefully. I thought you were going to say like gameplay-wise as well, and I was going to heavily disagree with you because I, I actually play and can play the original Crash Bandicoot better than I can the remaster which I cannot play for f***ing toffee. No, no, it's purely on the visual aesthetic. When I start up my Saturn downstairs, it's always those 2D games that are just going to look the best on the big TV, whereas the polygon-based ones, they just don't scale up quite as nicely. In keeping with our tokenistic theme, we thought we'd let some girls review the games this week. First up, it's not as attractive as Zoe Ball, it's Toeball number one. The gameplay isn't as complex as the games like Tekken and Virtua Fighter, and the enemies aren't quite as intelligent as you'd like them to be, so it makes it erring on the side of average. I agree with Kate. The fighting mode is quite average. The really exciting part is the quest mode. It's very cool. You walk around, you get to fight any enemy that comes in your way, you learn how to jump over things and do different moves, and you get to pick up things if your energy level is low. Overall, it's an average beat-em-up, but with the quest mode, it's definitely worth a purchase. The only downside is that it does run slower than the import version. 
But it's not just Dom and Kirk and Rick in dresses that are making this a girly special. We have got Ash girls doing the reviews for the games as well. For the first time since Series 1 or Series, series two? 2? Series 2, I think, would be the last time we had girls reviewing it, yeah. Which I want to say was Jane Goldman. I seem to recall it being Jane Goldman as well. I'm willing to be wrong on that, but I feel like it was mostly dudes in Series 3, and it definitely was all dudes in Series 4. Because I remember us both being overjoyed that Jane Goldman was making an appearance on the show, and that's been it. It has been lads, 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 right up until this point. So it's nice that we get a break from our other reviewers, and here we get two people completely new to being on screen for Games Master, although although both people with video game street cred. Yes, we've got Kate Russell from Games World and Kimberly Baldwin from Techno Slams. Kate Russell is kind of you know, she's been working within the TV industry for a while, uh, appeared as a youngster on Johnny Ball Games with her family. I think we might talk to the Russells, because we haven't met you, have we? Well, can I come in the middle? <laughs> Fine. Come away from the trees, you'll get tinselitis. <laughs> There's a joke every 20 minutes in this program. Now then, let's talk about, about uh, the things you like to do. Uh, what kind of things do you do, like doing, Kate? I like doing modern dance and disco dancing. Do you do disco dancing? Yeah. Um, what kind of pets have you got? We've got um, two dogs, three cats and a guinea pig. <laughs> two dogs, dogs three, cats, three cats and a guinea pig and, guinea pig, yeah. and you live in a shed outside <laughs> which is quite delightful like on her website she's even got links to like all of her early appearances and stuff that's amazing given who the guest is later in this episode i had that exact same note i was like huh that's a nice little tie-in isn't it uh she then did a show on nickelodeon called fish and chips in 1995 but at this point is doing some hosting on games world and some commentating on games world and then this appearance here on games master she did work with bbc's uh click for a number of years but left it during the first lockdown to do quite the side venture so the plan was, according to you know, there's the interviews and there's her Wikipedia page. She was going to start doing streaming during lockdown, which went against sort of BBC guidelines and stuff. And so she just left the BBC, left doing stuff with Click, and just decided to do streaming at home. But didn't end up streaming games or anything like that. She ended up rescuing a ferret and keeping that ferret in her shed. And she then ended up creating what is essentially a ferret rescue center in her garden and set up streaming for the ferrets and lots of social media accounts for all of the ferrets. Hello and welcome to My Life with Ferrets. I'm Kate Russell. You might recognise me from my weekly appearances on BBC Click for 14 years or so, but I am a ferret mum now. Yes, this is Wriggles. Oh, <laughs> this is Scruffles. <laughs> and Twitch is the home of our weekend coverage of every moment of our ferrets' lives, including the near-death ones, broadcasting on 5HD cameras from 7pm GMT every Friday. We kick off the weekend with a live chat show with special guest Man in the Chair, Mad Dog. And while you wait for the weekend to arrive, there is loads of stuff on our YouTube channel too. Whether you're interested in technology, streaming or ferrets, we've got guides and tips videos, plus so many cute clips of the girls, you might drown in floof. Don't forget to hit subscribe whilst you're there, and we'll see you back here on Friday at 7. That is, quite frankly, 
Amazing. Isn't it just? It took me by surprise when I was reading through her Wikipedia page, but there it was. See, I was quite excited to see that uh, in 2014, she published her first fiction novel, which was based on Elite Dangerous. It was a kickstarted project and the book is still out there and available on Amazon, but also, and key for me, as an audiobook. And I'm like, oh, we talked about this a lot on Independence Day UK, but we both like audio plays and audiobooks. And I'm like, I quite like Elite. The title itself, Elite Mostly Harmless, there's a bit of a Douglas Adams reference there. I may give that a listen. Also, because I have a lot of Audible credits that I need to use. Oh, God, yeah, tell me about it. Time to start burning through some of those. Kimberly Baldwin, was there was less about her. Like I said, if you search for Kimberly Baldwin techno slams. Although, if you search for Kimberly Ann Hoffman, because got older, got married, you will find a bit more. She was a freelance TV producer, also an author, produced, wrote and directed hundreds of TV shows and segments, both nationally and internationally. I'm just reading from her LinkedIn here. Some of the shows included Video Game Slams, US Techno Slams, Log On TV and Internet Tonight International, which were distributed all over the world, including on Sky TV in the UK. That's how she ended up here. She also appeared on Bad Influence. They have what they call can-do people. Sports guy orchestrated it. And here in San Francisco, there were two can-do people who decided they wanted to make a television show. Hey, hey, wake up! Wake up! So they did. It's called Video Game Slams, and it goes out on San Francisco's City Vision cable TV network on Channel 53, the community access channel. Community access means that anyone can have a go at making a program. All you need are great ideas. And Video Game Slams is totally original. Anyhow, that's all for now, Dr. Brandon Maxwell. And as always, I'll be seeing you. And these are the two people behind Video Game Slams, director Michael Baldwin and producer Kimberly Baldwin. So this is the nerve centre of the operation, right? Well, kind of, kind of. This is the office, and this is actually the flat, and this is our bedroom. <laughs> this is the other part of our office. This is the other computer that I work on, mm -hmm. and this is our upcoming games board. Roomy. But nowadays, she is a certified acupuncture therapist. Bet you didn't see that one coming. <laughs> but what interested me was this talk of video game slam and techno slam, because I found an article from SFGate, San Francisco Chronicle, in September 1996, which talks about another TV show launching for video game addicts. And it's a new half hour show based on GamePro magazine, a title I think we've referred to a number of times. And it just goes to a little bit of the details to do with that. But it then goes, they will compete with two other half-hour cable programs that already focus on video games, one of which is called Video Game Slams, a San Francisco-based show shown at 8pm on the first and third Wednesdays of the month on Public Access Channel 53. And you can find segments of this on YouTube. And if I can find a full episode, it's going in the bonus episode bank because it looks quite delightful. The one that interested me the most was the other show to focus on video games, purely because of its name. It was called Twitch. Huh. Pure coincidence, just based on the concept of Twitch gaming. But I was reading this article and I did the full-on Scooby-Doo double take at it because I'm like, that can't be. Oh, no, it's definitely not related. It's listed here as the most slickly produced show, featuring a mix of video game footage, cheat codes and interviews with game developers and testers. It's got bad influence in a way then. Yeah, I mean, it says they, they like they, the reviews actually don't just kind of gloss over the surface. They go deep into the mechanics of gameplay and are done by people who look and sound like real gamers rather than actors. 
Ooh, that could backfire. Video Game Slam is the opposite approach. Very low budget, low tech, more than two years old. It's described as being kind of like Wayne's World and has a cast of kind of like outlandish characters, including a blue haired professor, a hyperactive pigtail girl, and an invisible reviewer who is producer Michael Baldwin, not that Michael Baldwin, or indeed the other Michael Baldwin from Phantasm, who was told by his employer Sega that he couldn't appear on camera. So he's filmed in front of a green screen whilst wearing a green screen stocking mask. So technically, he never appears on screen. That's clever, Luke. That's really clever. Well, speaking of clever, the first game they're reviewing here, Tobel Number 1, is a game that became one of the biggest selling games in Japan of 1996. The eighth biggest game in, in 1996, despite the fact that it didn't exactly get really great reviews. Like, you know, a lot of people, it's like, it's not as good as Virtual Fighter. It's not as good as Tekken. The quest mode is all right, but it's actually just a bit of a mediocre game. But it became a huge hit because it was bundled with a playable demo of Final Fantasy VII. I think we've seen this game briefly before. We've certainly talked about it before. I remember the title coming up. I think it was in one of the Japanese show or CES previews or something like that. I'd mostly forgotten about it until I saw about the demo disc. And then I thought, I think I own this game on US import. It would have been down the line. So it would have probably been after Final Fantasy VII came out and I'd probably picked this up used somewhere. But I remember that demo disc because it had a playable demo of Final Fantasy VII and video previews of Final Fantasy Tactics, Bushido Blade and Saga Frontier. That specific combo is in my head. I remember it to the point where I'm thinking... I must have had this game at some point. We talked uh, a few episodes back now about Final Fantasy VI. It was in the 50 games to play before you die. And I said there was that PlayStation release of it, and I bought that day of release. It was only until I was in the edit of that episode, I suddenly remembered why I bought that day one of release. Not only was I excited for it, it came with a demo of Final Fantasy X for the PlayStation 2. And it was like, a, that was one of the reasons we were so excited to go and get it. It's like first thing in the morning, like we bunked off school to, to play it because we wanted to play a bit of Final Fantasy X because we could not wait for that game. I feel like I owe an apology to anyone I've ever looked at oddly for going to see a film just to see kind of like one of those, the first few minutes of, you know, yeah. it's that idea of you bought a game, not because of the game, but because of the demo that came with it. Paul Shear on How Did This Get Made tells the story that he went to go see Meet Joe Black, not because he wanted to go see the movie, but because it had the trailer, the first trailer for episode one attached to it. And the theatre promised them, was like, if you stay till the end of the movie, we'll show you the trailer again. <laughs> so he had to sit through the three and a half hour Meet Joe Black so he could just watch the Star Wars trailer again. Oof, I don't think I wanted to see Star Wars that much. Essentially what Kate and Kimberly say here is kind of what, you know, reviews at the time were saying, which is that, yeah, this is not as good as Tekken and it's not as good as Virtual Fighter as a beat-em-up. But the quest mode, and the quest mode was added in because, like, Square said, well, this is an arcade game, so we can't just have a one-on-one beat-em-up. We have to add an extra element to it. And the quest mode is actually half-decent. They sort of talk about that being a very good 3D adventure game. It's an average beat-em-up, but worth it for that extra mode. 78% it gets here. But I do like that last line uh, that they have, which is that it runs slower than the import version, because this is a show for those 
import player gamers. I love that this is an early dungeon crawler, really. It's a 3D beat-em-up dungeon crawler, but I love that it exists and that was essentially Square going, we can't have an arcade game, not with our reputation. And so here we ended up. I will just say, I love these two on reviews. You can tell that they are not entirely used to reading from auto cues. And particularly Kimberly. It's a shame because it is a lovely breath of fresh air to have them really on the show. Is. Next up, it's not as attractive as Zoe Ball, it's William's Greatest Hits. William's Greatest Hits gives you Defender 1 and 2, which are the original classic side-scrolling shoot-em-up, so you have to shoot the aliens, stop them from capturing and taking away your humans, which isn't really worth mentioning because it's a bit boring. Robotron is a highly enjoyable multi-scrolling shoot-em-up where you've got to shoot all the robots and not shoot the people. Sinister is a multi-scrolling shoot-em-up game very similar to Asteroids, and it was one of the first arcade games to feature true speech. I find Jumps quite enjoyable, too. My favorite part is the two-player mode where you can both fight on screen at the same time. Classics they may all well be, but for me, the only ones really worth playing are Robotron and Jumps, which really made this a good up next, we have William's Greatest Hits for the Super Nintendo, a lovely little collection of some of William's greatest hits, if you will. Though, if you ask me, I'm playing one game on this, maybe two. I'm playing Robotron, because Robotron is my fucking jam. Absolutely adored Robotron in the arcades. I like all of the games on this. I like both the Defender games. I like Joust. I like Robotron. I like Sinistar. I like all of them. I have a bit of a disagreement with Kate on this one because I do not think the two Defender games are boring. I think they are very, very good examples of that genre. I, I get the impression she's not a fan of that type of game, the, the flying shooter, because she hasn't got a lot to say about Sinistar either. She's only really interested in Robotron and Joust. I mean, Joust in the two-player mode. Oh, that's so much fun. Same as Balloon Fight, really. It's an awesome, awesome game. Those are the two, as I said, that kind of like, you know, what Kate and Kimberly are saying here. Those are the two games I gravitate towards because I, I love the shit out of Robotron. But Joust is, particularly in two-player, a fantastic multiplayer. And this is an early retro game collection. We had that feature talking about the early era of retro gaming, like, what, a month or so ago? And here we have now a collection of classic 1980s arcade games with some of those extra features, which on the PlayStation, DOS, Windows and Saturn versions would include video clips, concept arts, along with access to the original debug menus for if you wanted to futz around with the games. It gets 80% here, which I think is quite a fair score. I'm surprised it's actually higher than the one we had in the previous review. It's all about that Robotron. Finally, it's not as attractive as Zoe Ball, it's Amok on the Saturn. There are various mission objectives where the action takes place either on land or in the water. It's a fun shoot-em-up, but it's also very tough. And you've got a few different viewpoints as well. In addition, there's a two-player split-screen mode where you can work cooperatively against a common enemy or against each other in a head-to-head. -head. And this is just great fun. Overall, Amok is a very tough blaster with a really enjoyable two-player mode. If you've got the guts, then I'd recommend it. And our last review here... This really made me laugh because they all of the intros for this have not as attractive as Zoe Ball. It's blank. When Dom reads this third one here, he is giggling to himself because he's done it for a third time. It makes the joke so worthwhile. 100% agree. We're talking about a fairly competent 3D game for the Sega Saturn. It's a mock 
It's a perfectly fine game. It also came out for Windows, but it started as a tech demo for the 32X. And it probably would have come out on the 32X had Sega not given up on it. The 32X was discontinued, and so they turned around and went, hey, could you kind of beef this up a bit? But not too much, because 3D is really not our forte on the Saturn. But could you beef it up a bit and put it out for the Sega Saturn? And it got a mixed response. Biggest complaint was repetitive gameplay. But that multiplayer, which is mentioned in this review here, that was that was what kept the critics coming back and going, this is actually pretty good. It's got some depth. It's easy to pick up as well. Easy controls. And also, because they used voxels rather than polygons, it gave the graphics a somewhat unique look. I've not played this game, but having the Saturn as I do and having the optical driver placed as I do, can't say I'm not tempted to pick it up and have a play. Certainly, I think in that multiplayer, like that is kind of the reviews, isn't it? Like single player is a bit mundane, but the multiplayer's got a bit of depth to it. We feel like we're really getting into an era now. We have been in an era of multiplayer, but only because we've got that feature later on, which is talking a lot about four-player multiplayer with Mario Kart, Goldeneye, and and Starwing, and that that this is what people are really gearing more towards now in terms of what they like from games. Some single players are great, but man, if you can get a really good multiplayer, that is going to keep you coming back for more. Absolutely. It's why, even with all the games I have accessible on the Saturn, both myself and my partner keep coming back to Puzzle Bobble. And it's 83% there for a mock. And we said earlier that a lot of Dom's humour in this is poking fun at himself but this is another one of those slightly questionable lines in the episode and you can find out more about these games by visiting the games master internet site you can find out more about these girls by visiting my flat yep my notes just had dot 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 sigh yeah right that's part one over we're going to go to a commercial break now all of the products advertised here can be used by a girl like me with a little bit of imagination coming up in part two zoe ball will be with us. All of that and more coming up in less time than it takes to lather a stocking. One of the heroes of comedy. I can't help laughing. I know it's coming next. <laughs> but it's not easy making mistakes. I like that! Than funny, he was miraculous. I'm back to horses, eh? 20 to 1. Give me 20 past 4. Tommy Cooper, Wednesday at 8.30 on 4. Are you ready? This is the sounds of World Dogs. The album is out in your shops now. Go ahead. Baked potato chips, fruity things, biscuits, fruit, chocolate, and cheesecakes up to 97% fat free. So go ahead with McVitie's. Specsavers Opticians bring you great value eye care. Whether it's our eye examinations. Or spectacles. Or contact lenses. So just imagine what it's like when we have a sale. Well, from now until February, there'll be a huge choice of savings on offer. Pop in and see us for details. The sale at Specsavers Opticians. Now you can believe your eyes. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But the block knows I'm completely stuffed without Hall's menthol As well as soothing eucalyptus, they've got a fantastic menthol vapor action. Just allow one to dissolve slowly in your mouth. And it'll breeze through your nose block in no time. They're available in four flavors, all with fantastic vapor action. Watch out for the uh, extra strong ones. All Renault Megans are positively bristling with equipment, but there's one feature a Renault Megan Classic gives you that no other Megan does. It's called a boot. Very comfy, too. Should be, it's bigger than the Ford Scorpios. The new McGann Classic from 10995 on the road. Good thinking, Renault. Admin are always on at me to liven up my advertisements for John Smith's Extra Smooth Bitter. I don't think it's enough to talk about its extra smooth taste. What we need is a bit of action, Jackie. They just don't get it, do they? Well, I told them straight. No gimmicks, no dancing ladybirds, and definitely no penguins. Just me in a pub with a pint of John Smith's Extra Smooth. Pure silk in a glass. So, if this is a bit dull, you can blame me. Cut it. That was nice, Jack. So, you're going to put the pub background in afterwards? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to put it in later. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. Welcome to hell, ladies and gentlemen. Need some help here? Okay, I've got it. As for you, especially. Why come with me? Stay away from my patients. I do my job. Nothing gets in the way of that. Nothing. Happy New ER from 4, this Wednesday at 10. Welcome back. 
two, Games Master, one half of the show gone, and this dress is feeling dangerously more comfortable with every minute. As we come back from the ad break, Dom's dress is feeling slightly more comfortable now, but Zoe Ball is just shaving her legs and pits. I suppose we'd better head on over to Games Master to find out what today's celebrity challenge is. The Isle of Man TT race is one of the most dangerous sporting events in the world, and not a place we'd expect to find too many women. So it's with particular relish that I've ordered my next contestant to spin on her leathers and get out there and burn rubber. Her challenge will be to finish in the top five after two laps on the tire-screeching Manx TT. She was starting in eighth position, so to complete the challenge, she'll need to come from behind. Marvellous. Do you like the Isle of Man? Do you want to race around it on a motorcycle? Do you want to do that without actually putting your life at risk? Because if you do, you will love Manx GT Superbike. Yeah, we had this previewed, I think it was at the end of Series 5. I think it was when we had the preview of this. So it's kind of one of those lovely things where we saw it as a preview in Series 5, then get it as an actual challenge in the following series. This game was pretty, pretty big, both in success and also in size, because a lot of the arcade versions had a motorbike that you sat on, which meant it probably took up even more space than your average Sega Rally or Daytona USA. And the producer basically said, I just wanted to make a game with a big graphic impact. You know, I wanted to make something that would play differently, that would use the player's body. Looked through a magazine, saw an article about the Isle of Man, and thought that'd be great for a racing game. And I'd imagine at some point after that would also find out, oh, they actually have racing there. What a lovely coinkydink. Let's make it about motorcycles. Yeah, so it's a nice, simple challenge here for our celebrity. Just finish in the top five. She's starting from eighth. So, wink, wink, she'll have to come from behind. That is not the last we hear of that joke. So, uh, PBC panted up for this challenge. Please welcome the best reason for an early rise on Saturdays, Zoe Ball. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Can I just comment on how fantastic you look? Can I have a little soap? Yes, you can oh. certainly have a little soap. How do you, how do you we have a problem here. We have a problem here. We've got a VPL. Right. We're going to try to make sure we wear any pants. Okay. Just a bit of advice. There is a contractual thing about male channel 4% must wear pants at all times. I also have a, a visible belly line as well, which uh, I can't do anything about. Okay. But um, I am expecting. I like it. I am with child. Oh, right. As they say. Now, um, let's talk about getting up early in the morning. Because I mean, I would find that very difficult. Would you ever have any mishaps about having to get up that time? Yeah, it's pretty horrible when you because I'm renowned for being late anyway all the time. I'm oh. always late, and a couple of times I overslept, and so you get this phone call saying, "Where are you?" And you have that horrible drive to work where you just you just feel like you're oh. probably going to be shot or something. Then against the wall, and um, and you walk in and it's like being you know at school and yeah. you walk in like that. And horrible, horrible. I actually missed a show once. Totally. Completely. Yeah. Did you get in the trouble? Um, I did actually. Did you get yeah. hit? Did they beat you with a stick? <laughs> I wish. No, we didn't. Actually. So, do you need any help again up early in the morning? Uh, thank you, no. Because I know oh, a very okay, large, actually. fat, bald, bearded Scottish alarm clock. <gasps> really? That you could use. Um, and this is, a, this is on a motorbike. Uh, do you have a motorbike? Have you been on a motorbike before? Um, I'm actually terrified of motorbikes, but I like it out the back. On, okay. On a motorbike. And, um, that's enough <laughs> But Dom introduces us to the best reason for an early rise on Saturday. Think he's talking about wanking again. It's Zoe Ball looking as 1990s as she possibly can. Don't get me wrong, I love Zoe Ball. She's been there throughout the 90s for me, live and kicking, BBC Radio later on, all the various different things she hosted. But, performative years, her dad had a bigger role. 
with the now very questionably titled Johnny Ball Reveals All. Yeah, she is the daughter of Johnny Ball. Uh, I, there was the nice link we made earlier uh, with, with Kate from the reviews. Around this point as well, like she's just left doing smart and she's, you know, doing, she's done like fully booked. She's doing work on top of the pops. She's done a stint on the big breakfast, but perhaps most known for live and kicking on a Saturday morning. So she is about, and she is a busy, busy girl at this point. So busy, she occasionally forgets to turn up for work. Apparently so, yeah. So this is, like, they write about this in the book. This is one of their favourite celebrities ever, because Zoe Ball shows up and is game for a laugh. She is making Dom laugh with her innuendo. She out-innuendos Dominic Diamond in this. And she's going there, she's feeling up Dom, she's touching his bum, and she's sort of talking about visible panty lines and saying, I don't think you should be wearing pants at all. Like, she's just really kind of game for the, the laddish nature of Games Master. She does look slightly perplexed when Dom says, I've got a visible belly line as well, because I am with child. And she does give a look to camera going, Okay. Rick Henderson in the book, I love this as a quote, said, Zoe was a really lovely person and just got into the humour of the silly show we were making. And and maybe has a a few truthful confessions because she talks about, you know, being late and missing a show and Dom's like, you know, did did you get in trouble? Did they hit you with a stick? And she's like, I wish. I'm like, (laughs) oh, hello. That's quite a revelation for a Saturday morning TV host. Normally that's saved for Blue Peter presenters. But Dom does offer his services as a fat, bold, bearded Scottish alarm clock. And Zoe's like, I'm cool, fam. I'm fine. And she then has a line so good, Dominic even quotes it in the Games Master oral history. A line so good, he's like, we should have just stopped filming there because we were never going to top this again, which is that she's not been on a motorbike, but likes it up the back. Dominic's smirk at that line is so, so wonderful. And she does immediately try and neutralise it a bit by going, on a motorbike. (laughs) I like to be on the back on a motorbike. motorbike. Zoe goes off to get her leg over. Dom goes off to talk to another bloke in a skirt. When she gets her leg over, they even put in sound effects of like the stretching leather pants of like, and they do it again when she gets off the thing. Continuity is important, but yeah, it is basically two rubber balloons squeaking against each other. You mentioned Rick Henderson there, another bloke in a dress. He actually has my favourite line of the episode. Where did you get this particular one? Well, I actually stole it from a small child, and he wasn't too happy about it either. (laughs) It really made me laugh. Rick sometimes just drops these absolute golden nuggets of lines and just kind of like volley it back at Dom. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Not only is he not afraid to steal clothes off a child, he also has good advice for the game, which is keep a firm grip on your throttle. A firm grip, Luke. Always need that firm grip. And also, each checkpoint gets you an extra 15 seconds, but a firm grip. Well, it's such a firm grip that Dom does ask him to repeat the word throttle. Just we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Can we get that sound bite now? Throttle. It's always good to have it confirmed. I really enjoy this on Games Master when they sort of peel back that curtain somewhat, where Dom is just like, she's only got to end up in fifth but she was really bad at this in practice, so I don't think she's going to do it. <laughs> so off you go. She just looked back at him and go, oh, thanks. <laughs> in all fairness, she spends most of the race. She like, races right ahead to fourth, but it's, as Rick says, on all of the easy corners. He said, when she's going to get further around this track, it's going to become a lot harder and she's going to slip down. That is exactly what happens. 
because she hits a corner, drops to seventh, and then she chases up to sixth, hits a corner, drops back to seventh. She gets a little bit further, gets to sixth, hits a corner, drops back to seventh. She may get a little bit of progress, make it to fifth. She hits a corner and drops back to seventh and is then kind of amazed to see that she ends up at sixth. She does eventually run out of time, before just missing a checkpoint. It would have been delaying the inevitable, but she almost gets that extra 15 seconds while Dom and Rick make jokes about gripping throttles and wrapping legs. I think as well that Zoe Ball forgot what the rules of her challenge were because it looks like she celebrates finishing in sixth. And then it's just like, a, oh, no, wait, I had to finish in the top five, didn't I? While Dominic Diamond is screaming, she didn't win the challenge. I mean, yeah, she never actually finished the challenge. She just ran out of time. So she kind of lost it on both counts, really. Bad luck, Zoe. You would do quite well at the start there. Then, then what happened? What went wrong? Um, I was listening to you. Uh-huh. And, uh, Always and, a bad mistake. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and also, I just it's so difficult. You just have to concentrate so hard, and I'm useless at these kind of things. You're not... But I enjoyed it, though. You know, I don't think it was so bad, uh-huh. was it? You're not the first woman to be captivated by the rolling lilt of my accent, Zoe, as we said. Well, Zoe, you haven't won the joystick. I'm not at all surprised. I never thought I was going to win it, though, so at least I'm not disappointed. Uh-huh. But you have captured my heart. Oh, have I? So I hope you can take that home as consolation. Oh, darling. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. Who writes you a line? I make them all up. Isn't really? It amazing. Do you know what I mean? I just get, I just find it, I feel it about here, or really? sometimes lower down, and before I know it, it's just come out. And that's it. But thank you very much for coming on. Always nice to have someone on who I fancy. That's right. I'm sure it's the same for you. Okay. Oi, easy tiger. And that's because, Ash, she was listening to Dominic of all people. Yeah, she found it hard to concentrate. But, you know, she did enjoy it. She does say she enjoyed it. Genuinely so as well. It does sound like she had a really nice time playing the game and really enjoyed herself. Dom's like, well, you didn't win the joystick, but you did capture my heart. And I just love her reaction of, who writes your lines? Which, I'll be honest, is a, something I've thought a number of times over the past six seasons. And he then just basically blurts out, as he has done with a few people on the show before, by the way, I really fancy you. No shit. <laughs> he writes about that in the book as well. He says, uh, I was utterly in love with Zoe Ball. Oh yeah, I mean, I say to so many guests on the show that I get them on because I fancy them. And it's a running gag but I was genuinely in love with Zoe Ball. Aww. It's kind of sweet and only made slightly weird by her pinging his dress. (laughs) A few weeks back, Nintendo held their annual Shoshinkai exhibition to reveal the latest progress on games in development for their N64 Super Console. Over 20 games at various stages of completion were there, including the finished version of the game everyone was waiting for, Mario Kart 64. For people like me with lots of mates, a particularly appealing fact was that it can be played as a two, three, or even four-player game, with each player having a surprisingly intelligible view. It's back off to Japan for another edition from the show Shinkai. We loved it when we had this back at the end of Series 5, because that was when we got our first look at the new Nintendo No Longer Ultra 64. The 64 is not here yet but it is very, very soon. Like it's February, March time. It's just around the corner. And we've had like lots of reviews of N64 games. We've had challenges on N64 games, but this is a feature here that makes you go like, oh, dang, like I really should be looking to get an N64 when it does arrive here in the UK next year or this year, in fact. And it was a big old show. Obviously, the focal point was the N64, but there was also new software for the Super Nintendo, for the Game Boy. 
and the first demonstration of the 64DD. And we're not talking about Kirk's cup size here. Or spiders. Or spiders. <laughs> you just made it so I've got to, got to leave that in now, haven't you? You just you bloody bazookered me. Damn you, Owen. Yeah, that DD is something we'll have to keep track of as, as we go along with this podcast, because I think it'll be dead before this podcast even ends. I mean, they were playing it down at this show because whilst the 64 disk drive, the disk drive add-on for the Nintendo 64, was a real thing, Nintendo had hitched their wagon to the cartridge and was trying kind of not to go, okay, maybe we do need a disc. They were still going, no, look at the cartridge. It's great. Ignore the disc drive. Ignore the use of the word disc. That's why we've called it DD, because then it just makes it sound like a bosom. Exactly. Yeah, the carts are where it's at. Play your carts right. Can't use that one, Luke. We've already found out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was there, it was demonstrated, and it was the first official launch window for the thing announced with basically late 1997 in Japan. But outside of its appearance and a copy of Mario 64 on the 64DD, a weird thing just to kind of go, here's something you can buy on a cartridge. It looks and plays the same, but there it was. And the main other thing of note that we don't touch upon here is that Earthbound 64 debuted as a kind of a snippet of video in an overall video loop. Copies of that footage apparently have been like hunted and analysed over the years and kind of like freeze-framed, enhanced, all that CSI MacGuffin. Back into the left. Back into the left. But then we get to what Dominic is showing us from the show, which is quite narrow, but also quite interesting. It's all the really exciting stuff, mostly like four-player, multiplayer things. I, I think that's what Dom's really excited about, particularly when he's talking about Mario Kart 64. It's a game that, according to him, everyone was really excited about from the show. It's now fun, it's now complete. No longer Super Mario Kart R. This is Super Mario Kart 64. Watching the footage here made me want to play Mario Kart 64. I could feel that controller in my hand. I could feel the shoulders of your friend, shoulder to shoulder, playing this game on a sofa and made me just want to pick up a pad and play it again because it's a brilliant Mario Kart game. We've talked about Wave Race and we talked about what a missed opportunity that was to not have that proper four-player experience. And, oh, this is so lovely to have three titles, all of which had really, really solid multiplayer. I mean, ISS 64, which we'll get to in a little bit, I was thinking about this on the way home today when I was re-watching the episode of like, is this my favourite one? It's I think we said this before on the podcast. It's the one that I gravitate towards. Like if someone said to me, like, do you want to play Mario Kart? Or like, if you think about Mario Kart, this will be the first game that I think of. And yeah, I think it is, despite the fact it's got an absolutely dog-ass butthole version of Rainbow Road. I do think that it's my favourite Mario Kart game. I would absolutely agree. And even with my long-running feud, Bucky O'Hare is, <laughs> With Cliff of N64 Live, I would say Mario Kart 64 is the better version of Mario Kart. I know there are some purists that prefer Super Mario Kart on the snares, but I think the advancements made with Mario Kart 64 are stunning. Absolutely brilliant. It's one of those things where you put your mind and your eyes into like that 1996-1997 mode. Like you're, as if you're trying to watch this for the first time with none of the, your conceptions you've got now of what the Mario Kart series will become and what graphics will become. Look at the leap between Super Mario Kart and the SNES and Mario Kart 64 here. It blows your mind seeing the difference between the two games. It looks great, even if 
the character models are a bit of a cheat, but I'm oh, sure yeah. we'll get to talk about that down the line. Another game that's shaped up nicely is Star Fox 64, which provides the same mixture of frantic shoot 'em up action and hazardous obstacle course type shenanigans that made the Super NES version such a hit. New features include a four-player option where players go head-to-head, a rather nifty land cruiser modelled on an old pair of my pants, and superb dogfighting gameplay. On top of all this, Star Fox 64 features the most spectacular selection of bosses since the last G7 Summit. One game where the character models aren't a cheat, it's Star Fox 64, known as Lilac Wars over here because legal reasons, or... I think we've covered, I like Star Fox 64. Yeah. I particularly like Star Fox 64 on the 3DS because it's essentially the same game with better textures, even in 2D mode. And I can still play it in a single sitting and just go all the way to the end. Love, love, love Star Fox 64. So good seeing it here. And it just immediately gave me the same warm, fuzzy feelings I remember having back in 1997. And Dom again is talking about that multiplayer. I love it when he's talking about Mario Kart, where he's like, you've got two player, you've got three player, you've got four player. And then he's the same game. He was like, it's Star Fox, but you've got it as four player with spectacular bosses. Dom sounds really jazzed for the N64. He sounds super excited and I love it's about multiplayer games because it's the thing that the N64 was essentially designed to excel at purely from a hardware point of view of having a console shipping with four controller ports on the front. It's what we were saying about Wave Race. A bizarre little your first racer to be a two-player only thing when there are four ports available on the console. Also of note, Star Fox 64, first title to make use of the Rumble Pack peripheral. Yep, you had to ditch the memory card and put in the Rumble Pack. And apparently Miyamoto said that the development team struggled to utilise the Rumble Pack in a way that players understood, noting that during development, players were often confused as to why their controller was vibrating. Can you imagine living in a world where people were confused by force feedback on their controller? I know, right? We've had that for 25 years at this point, more than that maybe, because, you know, you had this and then you had the PlayStation DualShock. It just feels second nature now to the point where there are some games where when I don't have that feature, I notice it. It's in the same way that when you first play Mario 64, it's about teaching you how to walk around a 3D environment. Like that is now second nature to us because we played so many games with 3D environments. But that at that point, you did have to have a, guys, this is how you move around. Many games were being seen for the first time, like this decidedly cutesy, icky platform game featuring Mario's pet dinosaur, Yoshi. More platform action was to be had with the bizarrely titled Go Go Troublemakers. While looking like a cross between Doom and Virtua Cop with the James Bond license GoldenEye. But I think Dom's more excited for the multiplayer games than he is. Things like Yoshi's Story, which is just like, it's a disgustingly cute platform game. Very, very good. Also, Go Go Troublemakers. Yeah, that's quite weird. And GoldenEye, Die Ugly Bad Man. I mean, Go Go Troublemakers, which I can't help but think... Troublemakers. It's released as Mischief Makers uh, over here. It's actually not even called Go Go Troublemakers by the time it actually gets released. But yeah, you're right. Like the key game here is it's fucking Goldeneye. As he describes it, Doom meets Virtua Cop, which is not quite accurate. It's more just Doom meets Doom. Aesthetically, it's Doom meets Virtua Cop because yes. the aesthetics are more Virtua Cop than they are Doom because they're fully 3D models. 
I think when we do another live show, that's a fun challenge to do is four-player GoldenEye. I even saw someone very clever recently that worked out how to do Nintendo 64 GoldenEye, but with four separate monitors. So splitting the image between four... Yeah, between four TVs. Very, very cool. Would feel slightly a cheaty way to play, though. Maybe in a way, but is it cheaty to be looking at someone else's screen while you're walking around? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And we all did it. Even people that say they didn't. We all did it. Dom has one more game to be very excited about because, of course, it's the football, Luke. Any console worth its salt, though, needs a good football game. And the first contender hoping to steal an early lead is Superstar Soccer from Konami. Essentially a 3D version of their Super Nintendo footy sim, this was probably the most exciting of the new games premiered at the show. The Japanese, who are currently going football bonkers after winning the right to stage the next World Cup, seemed well impressed with its superbly smooth animation, fluid gameplay and wide range of moves. Qualities in stark contrast to their national team, it has to be said. He does love a football. Uh, he recently did uh, Rick Henderson's podcast where you talk about you know, the games that kind of made you and the games of your life. And he, his final choice was FIFA because he just loved... And he didn't say which specific FIFA. He was just like all of the FIFAs, all of the FIFA series because he was one of the first people to play FIFA in the UK at the EA offices in Slough. And he also massively got into the microtransaction bullshit of later FIFA games getting the ultimate team, which he hates, but he loves FIFA so much that he fell into it. And he's excited for football games. He bloody loves them. And Japan are apparently really excited for this one because they've got the next World Cup. Even though their team are pish, apparently. Absolutely, yeah. But in all fairness, as you said earlier, ISS 64, this is like one of the best football games. I think it's probably the best football game on the system. Easily. And also, four-player simultaneous multiplayer with no need for a multi-tap. You just need the extra controllers. And genuinely one of the best third-party games on the n64 my friend who had the n64 loved iss absolutely adored it and dom ends by saying the n64 is building up a strong library something it'll need when it's released in march for 250 pounds and if dom was mr playstation or mr saturn his pants would be getting filled one of those holds up to the test of time (laughs) one of those does not because Mr. Saturn has already shat his pants in quite a recognisable way. And Mr. PlayStation, Mr. PlayStation is like a member of the royal family. He does not have a butthole, has no capability to shat. Doesn't really shat for a good few years. I was going to say, if you actually look closely enough, you can see that Mr. Saturn is smearing that poo on the wall. And going, we don't need a 3D Sonic game. <laughs> we have Poop Wall, our new mascot. Nights into poop wars. <laughs> Virtual poop wars. Give them long enough. But wow, that was such a cool little show to see. That's a wicked feature. My only sad note is that Dom wasn't there for it because he's been in Japan. We've had the Japan features. Can you imagine how cool it would have been to have Dom there for the show? This is again kind of like it wasn't Series 5, like proper breaking news style stuff. This thing has just happened. We've got the footage for it. And I, and I love it because it is, you know, it's our first look at these games. And I can imagine myself at 11 years old watching this show and seeing these games being like, wow, this looks like the future of gaming and being dead excited about it. And I wouldn't get an N64 for years and years and years because I went uh, PlayStation way instead. But this is a, a proper get you hyped get you excited feature i've played most all these games i'm still hyped as we both said we want to go and play mario kart 64 sadly can't right now sucks 
but still makes me want to play it. Okay, that's it for the show. Uh, thank you for watching. We are off shopping now. And uh, next week's show is going to see Sanjay from EastEnders, Deepak Vermeer here with us. And I'll leave you with this question, bearing in mind that the platform queen failed miserably, Zoe Ball failed miserably, why don't we have more girls on Games Master? Good night. So yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's Dom's outro line there. Aged like a fine murder. Yeah. Yeah. So that was this week's episode. Ash, what did you make of it? If we leave aside the bits that haven't aged well, which does kind of account for most the overarching framing device it was a great little show yeah. we had two really fun challenges we had some top quality innuendo we had a great little set of reviews we had some nice guest reviewers the news section was pretty fun and oh oh those nintendo 64 titles what a fun little show it's just a shame that some of it has aged very very poorly and i think don would agree because as you mentioned he was on that rick henderson interview and the podcast released just today and even there he talks about how you know he's got two daughters and they have taught him the error of his ways and he can see how some of his behavior was really really not on and i think some of this episode is along those lines it is in my mind a good episode despite itself i think that's a really good way to describe it it is an episode that you can imagine at the time they thought this was fucking hilarious we're in dresses it's a girly episode we'll have girls on the show we'll have girls reviewing stuff it'll be really funny for us to be in dresses making jokes about ourselves because that is what they you know for the most part is what they are doing they are making jokes at their own expense but there are certain elements of it that kind of tap into that the awful side of Games Master that we had in Series 3 and Series 4, to a lesser extent Series 5, but certainly prevalent in Series 3 and Series 4. But even Don, by his own admission, would say in Series 4, he was proper mean to the kids, proper, proper mean to contestants. But kind of taking that aside, what we get here is a really, really fun challenge across three different games, which each has their own different progression of things. And then we have a, a celebrity challenge that is out innuendoing Dominic Diamond, which kind of harkens back to like Pat and Mick in series one. You know, those the real celebrities that just get on board with the style of comedy that they're going for. And it is just one of those things. Yeah, you're right. It didn't, it's a great episode in spite of itself. If we hadn't had that last comment, and if we hadn't had the comment at the end of the reviews, we probably wouldn't even be bringing this up. No, because it would, it would just be three dicks thinking it's funny that they put on dresses it's a shame it brings it down and so it makes scoring difficult if it wasn't for those comments i wouldn't say this is indispensable games master but i would definitely put it in the 80s for me i think this is in the 80s i was i was actually i wrote originally bang on 80 i am actually dropping below 80 i'm at 78 percent i think that's a completely fair score like really for me i think it was just the hype for mario 64 was like i think it has to be 80 at the very least that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, or you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to interact with us in real time, chat with us, chat with other listeners, other fans of retro gaming and pop culture, you can do so over on our Discord, where obviously there's discourse about last week's episode, 
the Mario 64 incident, about the new books, Games Master the Oral History, about our recent episode, Independence Day UK. It is a lovely little melting pot, a virtual gaming fondue of conversation and topics. And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UTP Extra, this show format, but about other shows from the 80s, 90s and 2000s, and our monthly community show under console nation. At the £5 level, you will get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. What is that, Ash? At the £10 level, you get the glittering golden joystick waggle and mug filled with sweeties, retro trading cards, stickers, badges and much more, which is sent straight from our hearts to your door. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Super Sexy, David Fisher, Simon, Sean, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Ian Williams, Ian Roberts, I am Cheadle, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew, Adam, and Andy. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.